one of the strongest parts of my game and one of the things that I love the most is putting. You know, we always hear uh, drive for show, putt for dough, and I definitely think that is a true statement. I've discussed it on this channel before. Uh, I have talked about, though, how driving still is important, so I don't want to say that's not important, but putting for dough is super important. And that's why I'm so excited to have with me today a very special guest, Tai Roladis Disc Golf. You've seen him on Instagram. You've probably seen him on YouTube. I'm so excited to have him in studio recording episode 32. Guys, we have so much uh, so many amazing things to talk about today. We're going to get to know Tai. We're going to talk about putting and we're going to review a very special disc. Okay, so super excited to talk about that. So let's go ahead and let's get into episode 32. Hey everybody, what is up? It's Antonio. Welcome to episode 32 of Teach Play Disc Golf or Gladiator Disc Golf Podcast. I'm so excited for the main show today, but before we get into it, there is a pre-show to this episode and you can listen to it and or watch it on Spotify and YouTube just by becoming a member or subscriber. And the awesome part, especially about the uh, Spotify subscriber is you also get the regular show without ads. So if you haven't already done so, check out the subscription on Spotify or YouTube memberships. You get the pre-show, you get all the extra information. We talked about some really, really cool stuff there and you will definitely want to check that out. So without further ado, let's go ahead and let's get to know this guy sitting next to me. <laughs> all right, Itai, uh, you know what? I don't have it in the show notes. We haven't talked about this a little bit, but I, I want to get to know you more. I know the listeners want to get to know you more. You have a very unique name. I know. Oh, yeah. We've yeah, talked about it. I, I've been saying your name all day, and then we get to recording here, and I'm just like, I, I feel like I messed it up there. I feel like I messed it up there. So, obviously, we've talked, we've laughed, we've had a good time. But I want, you know, just you as a person, how about you give us a little background, help us to get to know you better. Sure. Yeah, so again, my name's Tai Relatis. First name, Tai actually translates to Chief. Um, it's a Very Native American cool. name. And then my last name, Relatus, is a Filipino name. So I'm based out of the uh, Oregon area okay. on the coast. Um, I'm a developing professional disc golfer and content creator. My yeah. hub for most of my content exists over on Instagram. And I'm just now really diving deep into the space of YouTube. So be careful how deep you go. I know. Yeah. Very. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's a it's a bottomless pit of very difficult content creation. So, but um, yeah. So I've been playing disc golf for going on about three years now. Um, I fell in love with it right away when I found it, um, and ever since then I've just been pretty much chasing this dream yeah. full time um, since February of this year with a vengeance. So I really appreciate you having me on the show. Oh, Antonio. dude, of and course. I'm, yeah, I'm excited, course. excited to kind of talk to you guys a little more. So he kind of alluded to it a little bit here, guys. He talked about chasing this dream, uh, wanting to become a tour. And he's basically been touring for the last month and a half. He and his family have been on the road. Since, I think he said August 21st. Yeah, August 21st, we took so, off the road. On, left Oregon, and they're here in Tennessee. Staying with some family in North Carolina. Tai was so gracious enough. He was like, I want to come play Nashville disc golf. So he drove all the way out here this morning. And it was like a four to five hour drive. So it's been a long day. You've been up for a long time. Oh, yeah. But I appreciate it. And I hope that this day has been everything that you were wanting it to be. So I have thoroughly enjoyed hanging out with you. And I'm so excited to get into more stuff here. So definitely be making sure that you guys check out his social pages because there's a lot of cool stuff there. He's been meeting up with some awesome people. You were at Maple Hill. Yeah. Um, have you been at USDGC? We're actually recording on the Saturday. That is uh, Saturday moving day at USDGC. So mm -hmm. have you been out at the course at all or anything? Unfortunately, I've never been to Rock Hill. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've never been to I think Winthrop. it's a couple hours east of you, actually, yeah, come to yeah. think of it. It's about a five-hour drive uh, from where we're staying in North Carolina. And I was going to go, but... Of course, I want to make sure that I'm collabing with awesome yeah. content creators because this whole tour is a media tour that I'm essentially mm -hmm. investing in myself and trying to grow the brand and just collabing yeah. with awesome, like-minded content creators. So that's why, uh, essentially why I'm here. I appreciate it, dude. I'm so glad you reached out to me. So 
you talked about how long you played a couple years. How did you, you touched on it a little bit, but how did you discover disc golf? Yeah. So back in 2020, um, I, everybody, everyone's, <laughs> I'm sorry. I am a COVID player. Um, but yeah, so back in 2020, um, I want to say it was around like June or July, um, time, pretty much the time of the mm-hmm. year. Um, I discovered disc golf through Jomez on YouTube. It was in, <laughs> Join the club. Right? Yeah. It was that in, is awesome. It was in like the top 10 trending videos. And I want to say it was 2019 USDGC. Very cool. Um, I believe James Conrad was on the card. And it was just, it was super infatuating to mm-hmm. watch people throw a disc and throw it so far. Oh gosh, yeah. Especially <laughs> since my background has been in some form of a disc sport. Yeah. Um, and so... I ended up watching the whole 2019 Pro Tour in two and a half months. Just total binge watched every yeah. Jomez episode. You had the there time. Was. Had all the time. <laughs> um, pretty much stuck in the house having yeah. to seclude myself, obviously, due to the pandemic. And so after kind of, you know, time kind of went by after those like two, three months, um, I decided to ask my wife if she wanted to actually get out and play disc golf for the first time. Mm. And uh, I ended up buying, just like anybody else, a starter set. Yeah. Um, went out and... What d- brand did you buy? Uh, I'm pretty sure it was Dynamic Discs. Ah, uh, I went yeah. to Nineveh. Yeah, yeah. Nineveh. Yeah, so I, I'm pretty <laughs> sure I ordered it on Amazon. It all came to the house. Oh, nice. And um, But yeah, it was just super fun. I got out and played... For the first time with my wife, and I fell in love with it instantly. Mm-hmm. Um, about five days into playing disc golf, I met with an ex-professional, or I guess he's kind of a local pro mm-hmm. back in Oregon, Brody Cannon. And okay. uh, he ended up telling me, he's like, kid, don't take this the wrong way, but like, if you lose weight and like really dedicate your life to this game... You might be a phenomenal or one of the best pros that I've ever seen. Wow. Um, which lit a, it lit a fire under me right away um, wow. because I was naturally throwing about 350 to 375 when I first started. Are you serious? Yeah. Oh my gosh. When I first started disc golf. And so it was, I had 300 plus pretty much right off the right off the get. And like, um, was it semi good form even? Uh, or? By my standard now, definitely not. Right. It, it was right. very rough. Um, a really tall, like, rounding a lot but throwing so much natural talent so much natural athleticism and at that point guys i was like 360 to 370 pounds okay so way less athletic than i am now um but it was it was quite wow it was just infatuating to be able to get out there on a disc golf course for for essentially the first week and meet somebody who was already in that thousand rated threshold wow and for him to tell me something of that nature even remotely like he, I could be one of the best pros that he's seen. Mm-hmm. Just it totally lit a fire into me, and then it just pretty much. That is awesome, there. dude! Yeah. Wow, yeah. <laughs> I love to hear that. that can, I mean, first off, congratulations on the weight loss. I know that that can be such a difficult and trying thing, and yeah. that's so awesome for you. It's obviously good for you, but it's just so great to see your motivation and desire and passion mm-hmm. to improve yourself and improve your game, and just to have all those things. I think that's great. Um, and then just, I had no idea that you were throwing 350 Pretty within much, the first yeah. week of playing. <laughs> You're like my worst nightmare. <laughs> I'm over here spending years trying to just like improve my backhand. And one week into playing, <laughs> you're just like embarrassing me. No, no, no. Oh no, my no. goodness. No, no, yes, yes, yes. No, no. Oh, Antonio's man. form is really solid compared to where <laughs> I was when I first started. And it should be because you devote a lot of time to it. Thank but uh, yeah, my form was was nothing to uh, nothing to talk about. So yeah. Nothing to write home about. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. Well, you know, uh, I know I have a couple sponsors. You have several sponsors, but I want to talk about one of your sponsors that I don't think a lot of people are familiar with. Sure. You know, and I think this really uh, connects with who you are as a person as well. So, for those of you who don't know, Tai is sponsored by RPM. So, yeah, go ahead and take it away from there. Like, yeah. what, what is RPM? Where are they? What do they make? You know, mm-hmm. this, that, and the other thing. Just unload information on them. Sure. Yeah. So, RPM Discs is a Maori based company out of New Zealand. We are 
essentially our own manufacturer. Mm. And uh, we have, I want to say about 12 to 13 different molds, things from totally understable to very overstable, a few in between. But I believe we're growing yeah. at a pretty rapid pace. We became one of the main um, sponsors for the Euro Tour just this year. Very so cool. if you guys tuned into Euro Tour, you might have seen some of the banners for our PM discs. Um, but they're, ba- yeah, again, based out of New Zealand, um, an indigenous style based company Very with cool. a lot of indigenous representation. So cool. So, what made you interested in RPM discs? Yeah, so being Native American myself, being an indigenous person of these lands, um, I was just super excited to work with a company that had indigenous representation. And they are a smaller manufacturer. Mm-hmm. And I think. From the beginning of my career, I've always wanted to work with smaller companies and essentially been a part of the growth train with them. Um, I've seen a lot of success pretty much working smaller and growing um, until obviously maybe one day, um, you know, either RPM blows up or, you know, disc golf is continuing to grow. So who who knows? But I think I think I have found a company that I want to throw for. And exist with for honestly for the rest of my disc golf career if I could. So I I absolutely love the management there. I love the team members. Mm -hmm. I love the community that RPM holds um, true to. And uh, it's just been super fun. I've been loving the molds. And currently, I bag only RPM. Discs, only RPM. So. That, and you don't have to only bag RPM, yeah, right? Yeah, most definitely not. Yeah. Okay. So also, something that uh, I learned a little bit today, <clears throat> I had noticed they had some really unique names. So if you go onto like OTB Discs and that kind of thing, you look up RPM under manufacturers, you start seeing a lot of names that you've never heard before. <laughs> So can you kind of inform us a little bit about how do they name their discs and why do they name them that way? Yeah, so all of the molds essentially are going to be birds or raptors, um, and all the names are based in the language of Maori. And so they're the actual Maori um, word for the actual bird itself. So I want to say a takapu is actually, um, it's a style of like... um, I just blanked on the bird. That's you blanked but, on it because we're all waiting. Yeah, yeah, to, we're to just hear. waiting. I'd have to look at, <laughs> but it's a, essentially like a seagull type bird. Okay. Um, I guess for lack of a better word, it's like part of the blue booby family okay, yeah. of birds. You obviously, guys, you can roast me in the comments if you want for saying that. But <laughs> no, it's, don't it do is. That. I'm trying to keep it as PG as possible. That yeah, is no, that is the name of the bird. It is the name yeah. of the bird. So it's part of that family. Um, I totally blanked on the actual. That's name okay. Of what it is. But yeah, we have tons of different molds um, from everything from like Ruru's, which is an owl. You have okay. Pika Pika's, which is our nine-speed flippy driver, um, and that's actually a bat. But okay. there's all types of cool things with RPM. We just came out with a new mold called the Tara ET. It's like a slightly faster Thunderbird. Okay. Um, just there's so many cool names to it, yeah. but all based in the Maori language. Very cool. I love that. I love how they're embracing that, uh, not just like where they originate from in New Zealand, but they're putting it on their discs. And it's really educating people around the world who throw that or represent them and talk to people like we're doing now who may have never even heard of RPM discs. So speaking of that, chances are most people have never thrown an RPM disc. You said they have 12 or 13 discs uh, in the lineup. So if somebody was to go check out their lineup and say, I want to try some of these. Mm-hmm. What is maybe two or three that you would say, uh, regardless of skill level, let's just say that regardless of skill level, two or three discs. That's like, try this disc out. Sure. We do have starter packs oh, with RPM okay. discs. So a great entry to being able to learn some of the molds. I believe it comes with either a Tui or a Takapu as mm-hmm. one of the putters. Piwakawakas and Pika Pikas, which are all going to be essentially the neutral to understable type discs. Okay. Um, but it's just, it's super sweet to be able to essentially have bagged all of them now. So mm-hmm. I would say something around that, around those okay. molds. A Pika Pika is a great starter driver, especially in our atomic plastic. It's going to be really similar to like an end of a star plastic. Okay. Um, but it tends to be the most flippiest run. Of them, besides the base plastics that right, you can right. get from them, so I'd say a premium 
um, driver to start off with. It's going to be that Pika Pika and Atomic. You probably want to go like an Atomic uh, P Waka Waka. It's going to be a six speed, um, but it's a neg three. So okay. an understable mid range in the beginning, I think, would be really nice. Mm-hmm. And then I can't necessarily not recommend or oh, have to recommend uh, the Takapu because it's my putter of choice. Yeah. Um, we're going to get into even we more details we of the Takapu. We will be reviewing the Takapu yeah. later in this episode. So yeah. if we don't say a lot of details now, don't worry. We will get yeah. into it. But uh, it, it's a 2302 super, super yeah. you know, neutral to slightly overstable right. type putter. Um, but in Magma Soft or even Magma Medium, um, that's like our premium putter plastic, um, it, it flies a little bit more neutral. And so that's what I love so much about it. It's going to act really similar to like... Um, an AVR mm-hmm. or a P2. Mm-hmm. I'd say it fits kind of in between them really, I mean, really well. You just well. made a lot of people happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. It's a, but it's a slightly slimmer profile. Okay. So I, I, I'd I say those three discs, you can't go wrong with them. And then Very from good. there, you catch the bug and you're going to want to bag them all. Yeah, so. of course. Well, I, I love trying new things. So I, I may have to see what I can uh, <laughs> fit in my bag. I, I pretty, I'm pretty happy with what I got, but I'm not opposed to try a new plastic, especially if it makes me look better out on the course. Oh, it definitely So, all right. Well, we got a couple more things that I want to talk about. And one of the things um, is this in, in this getting to know you section is actually a question from one of my Discord uh, server members. So thank you so much, Caleb, for submitting this question. And we talked about it a good bit in the Discord uh, as well in the chat there. But I wanted to bring it to everyone's attention. He asked this great question. He said... One thing I've always wondered is whether you ever complete your form in disc golf. Should you stop working on form and just get really good with what you've got? Or should you constantly tweak your form to maximize it? Now, we touched on this talking today at the course, touched on it in the pre-show a little bit as well. But let's go ahead and let's just hit it head on here. What do you think about this? I think wherever you're at in your game, whether you feel like you have a big arm or not so much of a big arm, um, I think there's always room for optimization mm-hmm. where you can either one simple, simple, simplify your form, uh-huh. um, learn how to drive more torque. Um, and then just from a biomechanics standpoint, right. um, being able to hit those really efficient athletic positions, I think is super important. I don't think you should necessarily settle until you have a very optimal way to throw. Mm. So in my opinion, I'm, I'm still working on my form, but Same. I feel like I want to get to a ceiling mm-hmm. before I say, okay, this is my form and I'm going to continue to grow with right. it and get the timing better to get the mechanics more smooth. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I, that's kind of my answer for that. Okay. Yeah. And, and, you know, I have some thoughts about this too, and I totally agree with everything you're saying. I think it's important to, acknowledge that there are pros that are also tweaking things but you know they're not tweaking something necessarily because they're all of a sudden going to find 500 or 100 feet more of distance a lot of it just has to do with how their bodies age and develop over the years of throwing you know we've seen paul go from having a little paul paul Macbeth have a little uh like pump in his uh x-step in his walk up 10 years ago to not doing that. And we also saw about a year or two ago, he got some coaching from Chris Dickerson and stopped putting his hand on the back of the disc while during his except and he just keeps one arm on it. So we see six-time world champ Paul Macbeth still making adjustments to his form and they're smaller adjustments. I think a lot of it might have to do with mental aspects. Yeah. But you know, I definitely think it's important to find a balance at the same yeah. time. You don't want to be constantly tweaking, constantly adjusting, constantly changing things because then you never know what's going to work for you. And so I definitely think that there is a point where you need to say, I'm good with this. Mm-hmm. Maybe I've reached my ceiling, like you said, sure. 350 feet, 400 feet, 500 feet, whatever it might be for the person. I've reached my ceiling, but now I need to find ways to maintain this. I need to find ways to small and in small increments clean this up or that this that or the other thing, and be comfortable with that. Uh, yeah. You know, we see top tier pros making those adjustments, and we see the the guys that are throwing the men and women that are throwing five, six, seven hundred feet. I mean, there there does come a point where you've reached 
maximum capacity sure you know for what you can do so i really love that question caleb great question and if you guys want to ask other guests in the future on the show questions make sure you join my discord server ty he's there so i'm sure he'll be active we'll be able to answer form questions in the future as well it is a growing community and it's been a lot of fun talking with everyone so make sure you join there link will be in the description now let's just spend a few short minutes here you know Going back to kind of getting to know you a little bit, what would you say is your strongest skill and your weakest skill? If you just had to break it down yeah, and you could get as specific as you want, if it's an aspect of a throw or mm-hmm. as broad as you want, but what is your strongest yeah. and what is your weakest? And I'll share my thoughts about mine as well. Cool. Not my thoughts about yours. <laughs> I'll share sure. my thoughts sure. about mine. Yeah. <laughs> that well, way you don't feel outed here. Sure. Well, we, we played quite a bit t- together, so maybe right. you have some insight to what maybe my shock and I got a laundry list of things that I need to improve upon. <laughs> um, yeah, I see strongest skill, at least from a standpoint of how much I've worked at it. Um, I've worked on putting more than anything else in my game. And so when I first started disc golf um, a couple of years back mm-hmm. now, um, I moved to Alaska, which if, if people have ever been following we me. literally hung out all day and you've never mentioned. I did not mention in yes, Alaska. Yeah, yeah, so pretty much after the two and a half months of, you know, figuring out disc golf. Uh-huh. And I think it was, yeah, about two to three months after like playing disc golf in Oregon, we shortly moved up to Alaska for about two years that's where I really started to like develop my game and start my disc golf journey. Um, but we moved there in such a time where it was in November and it was completely just ice and snow yeah. everywhere. And so I, at that point I was so fresh. So I was doing a lot of form in house, but I couldn't putt in my house. And yeah. so I was going outside and putting in like one degree Neg seven, I think the oh worst day goodness. was neg nineteen, um, and then we had like a putting league that we had. It was one degree out. I actually had an old old YouTube video about it, but it's uh it was it, putting. I think is the number one asset to any player if you're trying to make up strokes within casual tournament play and just mm-hmm. any round of golf. I think it's super important to get putting super dialed. Mm-hmm. I always recommend you know two to three hundred putts, but when I was in Alaska, I was doing upwards of a thousand to two thousand a day. Holy smokes! Um, and my 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 <laughs> tip for this is keep a putting journal. Uh-huh. Um, I did this, and I still c- continue to do this through all of my training. Um, but it's essentially this paper log I can look back at, and I tell myself what was working, mm-hmm. what wasn't working, how many putts I did. Um, in the very beginning, I was also tracking how many I made, how many I missed. Um, but it was just a really good way to come back to figuring out, especially in those putting woes and those it, the times when I felt like I couldn't even hit a putt from like 15, mm-hmm. 20 feet. I looked back at the journal. I was like, oh my gosh, like I'm not even doing the things that actually worked. I'm mm-hmm. doing everything that worked wrong. So obviously, I'm probably doing something wrong here. So Putting has probably been my strongest skill set to date. That's awesome. Um, and people in Oregon can probably attest to that. And yeah. I mean, my buddy Cole Rodall, he he talks about it all the time. We have putt offs all the time. We play together. I so. did not realize when you said Cole forty five times today that you meant Cole Rodall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So oh me, my me and Cole are pretty close. I actually caddied for him at MVP Open the so whole cool. time. Uh, we had such a blast. He seems like such a cool guy. Super down to earth. Great believer, just super cool guys, but uh, super cool guy. And uh, yeah, I also got to hang out with Gannon when I was there pretty much the whole time too. So Very cool. It was a hoot to hang out with those boys, but yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, you definitely should, uh, said the strongest skill, but you did not say your weakest yeah. skill. That, yeah. That's that, so exposed a little bit here. Sure, sure. <laughs> to be totally uh, vulnerable, I think the hardest thing with disc golf is mental game mm. for a lot of folks. I'm, I'm in that boat as well. Um because of my competitive nature, because of how much I care, right, about shooting a really good round, mm-hmm. um, it's really hard to kind of just open up and let loose and have fun yeah. and smile and laugh yeah. when the round isn't necessarily going my way. And so mm-hmm. I would have to say right now the weakest skill that I have right now is dialing in my mental in pressure situations or when my round is going away. Um, but... 
I have been finding a lot of success in the that's okay attitude mm-hmm. and just accepting every shot for what it is and but dialing my mental focus into each shot individually. Yeah. 100% into each shot individually. And so casual rounds, as you've seen today, yeah. I can let loose and have fun and know yeah. you care about the score sometimes. But in tournament play, I just care so much because we yeah. have ratings and we have, you know, obligations towards our sponsors and we mm-hmm. feel the pressure to do well with them. Right. But at the end of the day... Um, I feel like I'm getting there, and I feel right. like my mental game is getting better and better. Um, and when I put myself into more pressure situations with touring pros or even pro level play, mm-hmm. um, I'm I find myself either just kind of staying below the radar or really rising to the occasion. Mm-hmm. And so, mental game is a work in progress. <laughs> I hear you. You know, uh, that is something that I think we can always improve upon. Mm-hmm in our mental game. And one thing that I have found super helpful, and you may want to try this or anyone listening, you know, you may want to try this is that we often will talk to ourselves in our brain, like in our head and say, just move on. It's, you know, you know, it happened. It's in the past. Just move on. But audibly talk to yourself. Mm -hmm. That is something that I have done where I've just, I, I, you know, I, my nickname is like tone with my family and friends. So be like, all right, Tone, that sucks. Let's just move on to the next one. Or, hey, you're going to make this putt. This is in your range. That positive self-talk and verbalizing this to myself out loud so that I can hear it, actually mm-hmm. hear it, not just think it, but hear it. I have found that to be great because I am exerting that energy out mm-hmm. in a way. And I'm hearing you always want to make sure you have some positive affirmation there. Um to stay in a positive mindset. Sure. But it definitely I want to encourage you and others like I have I have found it so helpful to actually say, "Hey, you're outside playing disc golf on a beautiful day. Let's just have fun. You know, let's just enjoy." It. And and that just I feel like a wave of this pressure that I put on myself just kind of dissipates a little bit. So I definitely appreciate you sharing that. And I hope that kind of tip is helpful. I'll go real quick with my strongest and weakest skill as I was just thinking about it. Um, and I'm going to say that one of my strongest skills, if not my strongest, I've, I really feel good about my approach game. Um, I feel like ever since I started, I just started disc golf five and a half years ago that I had to learn how to approach real quickly <laughs> because yeah. I wasn't yeah. great at driving <laughs> off the tee. And so that is one thing that, of course, we all have days, rounds, and weeks maybe where an aspect of our game that is our strength isn't really clicking well. But overall, I definitely feel like one of my approaches is my, uh, or one of my strengths is my approach game. Uh, And just being really comfortable with the discs that I throw, understanding how they are going to react to the angle I'm throwing them on, and what they're how they're going to react when they hit the ground and that kind of thing a lot of that is also i've just committed to using some discs for a long time Mm -hmm. and so i'm just comfortable with those molds um and yeah so approach game probably one of my strengths uh one of my weakest skills and this is something that was kind of happening a little bit today i'll actually be honest and say probably accuracy is one of my weakest Mm -hmm. skills and i think a lot of that is because i've been improving and adjusting my backhand form so much with some major components like my backhand form used to be so bad like there is nothing that has transferred and said oh i was doing this well let me continue doing that today Mm -hmm. like no it has all changed completely and so it's one of those where i've changed so much and i'm still improving and adjusting that I do find that sometimes I'll have a throw that feels good coming out, like a couple today, and it had a good flight, but it was just a little off. Sure. You know? And so that's one of the things that I'm still working on accuracy, especially for backhand. I'm getting better with it because I understand that when you have good, consistent form and the way you're lining up on the T pad, you don't actually have to so much think about where you're aiming because the disc should be going where you want it every time. But. Knowing what's going to happen, and maybe this is more a commentary on my form itself, but like having that accuracy for both backhand and forehand, I haven't been throwing forehands as much recently, and I think it showed today where K 
Cain Ridge is very forehand friendly. Yeah, and exactly. there were a couple throws that I had that were just a little off on sure. the forehand. Uh, and so I think dialing in that accuracy will be super helpful. And it's definitely one of my weakest skills currently. I don't think it's always been that way. Hey, well, your, your forehand <laughs> is something to talk about. Okay, my forehand is not so much. So I appreciate if, that. if we're going back to weakest skill for me, forehands are very close second. So I just got to give you a little bit of praise. So. I, I appreciate that. Thank you very much. But speaking of skills, guys, and Tai touched on this a little bit, let's go ahead and let's get into our disc golf skill. I'm so excited for today's conversation. We're going to be talking about putting. Now, there is a lot that goes into this. And so I want to just clarify for everyone listening is that we're going to be looking at uh, the first thing to tell people to improve their putting. Now, trying to be as objective as possible because once again, like form, everybody's at a sort of different place. Mm -hmm. But like objectively, maybe the things that we see the most common, what is the thing that people need to work on first to improve putting? That one thing. And then let's go and break down the process of improving your putt. And let's let's actually, we're gonna keep it high level because there's so much that we can go into, but we wanna make sure that we can absorb all this information and in that, we're going to talk a little bit about the physical and mental aspects and then our favorite tool for improving putting. So uh, that's what this section will be like. So let's go ahead and you lead the way. What is the first thing that you tell people on average, mm-hmm. this is what you need to do to improve your putting? Paint the pole. Yes. Paint the spine. Okay. Not but, familiar with that second part, but I sure. like painting the pole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By far, the biggest miss that I see people have is either one, not even being in a place where it is in frame to be able to go into the basket, but it's a lot of left to right miss. Mm -hmm. So much. When you think of a basket, you have 18 inches of catch zone from band to to top of the basket, like bottom band to top of the basket, but you only have about 12 to 13 inches of catching zone Mm. left to right. Those last couple of links that are on the outside tend to never catch discs. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's super, super important that we dial the 12 inches in, but not forget that we still have 18 yeah. inches worth of room to be able to go higher or lower in our putt. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, paint the pole, paint the spine by far. Okay, I love that. That is something that I have done in my putting game for years now, something that I've talked about. And, you know, yeah, I'm going to do a callback to a to an episode that I made a few years ago at this point that was pretty controversial, but I stand by it at this point, okay? <laughs> All right, if you need help painting the pole, one thing that I like to talk about, and we talked about this a little bit, obviously there's going to be some variation, but if you're really struggling because you have an overstable putter, let's say like a like an AVR, okay, a brand new JK AVR, KC Pro AVR, gonna have some fade on it. Same thing if you're using a Luna. And a lot of players will take those overstable putters and say, I need to aim to on the last chain on the outside or off the basket and let the disc fade in. No, okay? <laughs> no, do not do that. Big, big, big no. Big no, yeah. because <laughs> your hit zone is so much smaller. And what also ends up happening is you don't realize it, but every time you hit the chains, it's like your disc is hitting a tree. And you know, what's going to happen is that disc is going to start to bead in. And I used to do this. I'm speaking from experience. My JK AVRs started not fading soon enough. So I was constantly missing the basket because I was trusting this fade to come in. I made this change two, three years ago at this point. I started aiming at a chain directly in front of the pole. No matter the stability of the putter you're using, aim in the middle because, you know, you have the up and down space. But left and right, you now have six to seven inches, if you miss a little bit, left or right, that will compensate for that. But the other thing is your hit box on the basket is much larger than trying to trust the disc to fade in. And so to help with all that, going to the skill here that you can work on, something that I have found to be so helpful with that is... To, when you're looking at the pole, if you're uh, a right, you know, right-hand putter like I am, I'm looking at the pole. I have my front foot. I'm a stagger putter, so I on a stagger stance. This really only works for that straddle. You would put more your middle body, but on the stagger stance, I got my right foot in line with the pole. I got my hand coming down 
in line with my leg, which is in line with the pole. Mm -hmm. And then I have my right eye, because it's on the right side of my head, <laughs> in line with the pole. And so I got these four points, and you mentioned it earlier in I think the pre-show these bio these biomarkers it's not necessarily that you have to be right eye dominant or left eye dominant but it's this alignment you got the pole in the middle you got your foot lined up with the pole you got your hand lined up with the pole and you got your right eye lined up with the pole and that's keeping everything in line with each other and so when you go to paint the pole it's not a left to right Mr. Miyagi you know wash on wash off wipe on wipe off kind of thing it's painting up and down and so you can just worry about whether you're a spin putter you're opening you're shaking hands with the basket directly in front of you you're not having a crossover and if you're more a push putter which i learned today i'm a little bit more of a push putter than i realize uh painting up and down on that and start there you are more than welcome to make adjustments and variations that again if you're a straddle putter you want to be more in line with the middle of your body but I think that principle is so important mm -hmm. to line up with the center of the basket. Um, you can make a lot of adjustments if you're not lined up with the center that end up making your putting worse. And so I think lining up with the middle is the most important thing that a person can do. And yeah. I'm so glad that we're on the same wavelength with that. So people might be listening to this and saying, okay, I like that idea. That's obviously going to help them painting the pole. But there's more to putting as well. So what would you say to somebody who might have 35, 45, 55% putting percentage? Mm -hmm. How can they begin to improve and see that improvement? Sure. I think it's super important to have a fundamental putt. Something that is very baseline, something that's very simplified. And so with all of my students, I teach fundamental putting. Essentially, there's four fundamentals to putting. We have... Um, why am I blinking so hard right now? I just don't even understand. Because you've been awake since three or four a.m. I, I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. The four fundamentals to putting: we have power, framing, spin, and follow through. It's hyper important to understand what is the most efficient way to be able to perform each fundamental. And I'll break essentially power down because I think this is the easiest thing to gravitate towards. Sweet. Let's start with that. There's three different ways to create power in the putt. You have compressive putting, which is using the back leg a lot more like a spring. You have weight shifted putting, that is essentially you're pulling your weight from the back leg and then onto the front leg. It's very mm -hmm. much more like linear front to back. Ricky Wysocki. Very Ricky, more like uh, James Conrad like. Yeah. And then you have hinge putting, which is very much so like a Gannon Burr or even mm -hmm. like a Calvin Heinberg. Calvin uses a lot more arm mm -hmm. and tries to focus a lot more on the wrist motion but uh i think the most efficient way to be able to create power and putting is compression okay to use that back leg like a spring because with the same thought process in our backhand throwing like we touched on already using dense muscle fiber creates efficient torque or power mm -hmm. and so being able to use the back leg like a spring helps engage and gets a good contraction of those dense muscle groups and so it's really easy to be able to get power out of your putt if you actually drive off of the back leg. So that's where I would start. Getting the back leg to be actually engaged in your putt is a great place to start. The framing, you could use yeah. a tip like Antonio gave you. Mine is just making sure that the wrist stays on the pole and you paint mm -hmm. that down. And if you're a spin putter, you paint the spine on the way up mm -hmm. and then shake hands with the basket or the pole, shake hands mm -hmm. with the pole. Spin, you want to make sure that essentially you open your hand at flush so you're shaking your hand. But yeah. there is this actual mechanic or wrist right. motion that happens. But you don't want to break past flush. You don't want to break the hand open. Right. You really don't want to supinate or pronate too much. Yeah. You really want to make sure that everything stays flush there. Mm -hmm. Follow through, obviously, is making sure that you transfer all of that power from the back leg onto the front and you're not falling over the leg. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a brace in a sense, in putting as well, yeah. where everything kind of gets on that front leg and then it comes to like a halting stop. We call it like hitting the wall, mm. essentially. That's what I like to call it. You hit a wall, essentially, and everything comes to a halting stop. That ensures that we're getting all that power into that putt. So. Mm. Very cool. Okay, really quick, you talked about this compressive power with the back leg. Mm -hmm. Obviously, we would have to load that by bending at the knee, loading that power. 
When you talk about this compression with the back leg, is this because a lot of people will focus on bending with the front leg instead? And so really you're, it's more an idea of using both to generate that power? Or are you talking about sitting back on that back leg to then push up and sure. end up going into our brace leg, so sure. to speak? Sure. The compression aspect is much more like a Paul Macbeth style putt. When you break down Paul's putting form, mm -hmm. at least I have, I've done... Yeah. Probably ten to 15,000 hours of putting review and putting. Mm -hmm. It's been about like a year or two years of, wow. of watching a lot of different putting form, especially at the pro level and elite level. But he uses his back leg like a spring, and he stays on the ball of the foot almost the whole time. Yeah. And so I think it's super important that it's not a full weight-shifted movement. It's more like you're diagonally kind of pushing into that back leg and really compressing it like it's a spring and then you want to fire off of it into that front leg. That okay. No, that definitely clarifies. Thank you. Because I know we were talking a little bit, and I think for me, uh, I don't get to play every day, and so I think I was experiencing a lot of fatigue by the end of our rounds today because yeah. my putts were just feeling so weak and that kind of thing. But speaking of that, this physical toll, this mental toll that comes with putting, we know that it is both. I think you and I would agree that putting is more mental than it is even physical. Mm -hmm. um, so what is something that we can use to help us tackle the physical aspect while also mastering the mental aspect of putting? Yeah, I think practice holds true to the same practice makes perfect. Mm -hmm. But in this sense, practicing putting allows you to learn your putt. The more confidence you have in your putt, the less mental strain you're going to have constantly. So my putting and my putting practice, and you guys can totally take this. I have a video on my Instagram about mm -hmm. it, but I do 10 to 15 minute sessions. I don't go over that amount and I go all the way until I make about three to 500 putts. This is a daily practice. This is going to allow you to practice a lot of, of your style of putt, but I do it everywhere from circle one to circle two. Because I believe it's super important, especially at the elite level, to be able to practice mm -hmm. those. Take it case by case. If you're not, obviously, want to be into a pro, right. really just dial in the circle one as much as you can. But um, we find in different uh, studies that if you want to stay at a very high efficiency level, the brain can essentially sit on one subject for about 10 to 15 minutes, at least in the like school right. environment. And so I took that study into putting and found okay. that... If I only go for 10 to 15 minutes, my mental fatigue doesn't essentially fall off. Yeah. If I go past that point, I just start to develop a very mental I love that. Um, fatigue and I start to develop bad habits and bad form and bad physical mm -hmm. mechanics. And so limit your putting to 10, 15 minutes, go away, do like five minutes of completely something separate, yeah. regain that high efficiency mental state and get right back into it. I love that. And you know, one of the things that I think will help with a lot of this and is the champ cap from Putt Confidently. I mean, the company name itself is Putt Confidently and you can do this with the champ cap. I know both of us use it, are sponsored by them and have found great success using oh, yeah. the champ cap. Um, it is one of the best tools out there because it does both things. It really works on your accuracy Okay, you have a literal ring that is the only way that you can make the putt. Right. You have to go through this ring to make the putt. So you're going to improve your accuracy. Now, yes, there may be times where you hit the black cloth uh, where it's like, okay, that would have gone in or you hit the edge of the ring. It's like, okay, that would have gone in on a normal basket. Yes, it would have. But the idea here is to increase your focus on a smaller area, aim small, miss small, so to speak. But then also... You have to focus and concentrate and you have to putt confidently, yeah. pun intended there. I mean, you're not going to make the putt with this tool, with the champ cap, if you're not looking at it and saying, I'm going to make this. Um, very cool tool that I think a, a lot of us have had success with. I know you have a lot of tutorials on your Instagram page mm -hmm. talking about the champ cap, but maybe for people who are out there, uh, what is one way that you would recommend using the champ cap? First, I would buy the champ cap solo. It's a one panel, yes. 13 inch. 
you still get two-thirds of the basket. So mm -hmm. if you still want reps to hit chains, you have the accessibility to do just it. Just rotate the basket. Just rotate the basket. So and it's a super small investment for massive, massive yes. return. And so I think that's the first place to start. It's, mm -hmm. I think I want to say it's only like 29 bucks. Right 20, now. $29.99 or $39.99, yeah. one of those low yeah. end. Yeah. And so it's super quick investment for super high return. And uh, I think that's the first place to start. Get that on your basket and just yeah. get putting. Really yeah. just dial it, dial it in. So. And, I, and I love my Champ Cap Solo. It's on my basket right now because I can warm up on what I just call the bear basket and just get comfortable. Okay, I'm getting warmed up here. And then I can focus, you know. And so I love that. So if you want to check out the Champ Cap, link is in the description. If you use that link and buy a Champ Cap, you support me uh, directly. And so I really appreciate that. Uh, so thank you so much for doing that if you do. Uh, but yeah, highly recommend the Champ Cap. And if you don't, if you already have a Champ Cap or you don't want a Champ Cap, I still hope that you can find these putting tips that we gave you to be super helpful and just encourage you. I love the compressive power. I think that's a huge component. Um, Painting the pole, painting the stripe, depending on push putt or spin putt. I really like that. So a lot of good information here. And I definitely recommend re-listening to this section because uh, there's a lot of good information to get uh, to learn about there. So let's go ahead. We got one more section in this show. And I'm so excited for this because we are reviewing your signature disc. So today we are looking at the RPM Takapoo. Okay. It is a two, three, uh, two speed, three glide, zero turn, two fade putter from RPM. And, uh, as always, the disc review on this show is sponsored by OTB discs. You can get the Takapoo on OTB, but if you want a tour series, uh, Takapoo, Contact this man right here. Yeah. Contact Tai contact, contact <laughs> about the Takapoo. He has several tour series. They are very cool discs. You've used them the most, so I'm going to let you lead the way here with this review. What are some things that we all need to know about this disc? Yeah, so it is a beadless, medium dish style putter. Has a little bit more of a round nose to it. Um, fits super comfortable in hand in my opinion if you're really used to like a p2 or an avr mm -hmm. has a little bit of stability on it um, so it's reliable especially in a headwind situation if you're a spin putter um, but yeah it holds super true to the 2302 i'd say the glide it might glide actually a touch more yeah. than what it says um, in magma soft plastic this is my absolute favorite plastic type very gummy yeah super super <laughs> gummy but um, not too gummy to where it's just going to stick to your fingers um, excessively and it still has a pretty stiff outer yeah. rim and yes. center plate so it's more of like this you know outside range of the center and the rim mm -hmm. where you have a little bit more of that pliability and so mm -hmm. i have exclusively been using this putter for about a year now okay i have dialed all of my putting training with it that i don't awesome. want to move and to any other putter anytime soon this yeah. is one of my favorite putters i've putted to date so that is awesome and you know it's it's funny you talk about it. it's a little bit shallower than the p2 and avr and i can definitely see that but I, on the other hand, putt with bullets and with mint bullets. And those are even more shallow. So I picked up the Takapoo today to just test it out, throw it a couple times. And it feels a little bit bigger in my hand. And, but then that's not what I'm used to. And so I definitely agree, though. I love the beadless feel of it. It is a nice round nose. I definitely feel like I could go and putt with this disc, even though it is taller than what I'm used to because it just feels so comfortable in the hand. Yeah. The plastic definitely feels great. And I love that it comes, I think, in the full array of plastics, right? Pretty much, yeah. We even have, I bag a platinum, which is the highest end plastic we offer at RPM Discs. So it's going to be like That's a- really pretty. Look at those yeah, rings, man. Super, super pretty. <laughs> Um, it's going to be a lot like a kind of like an ESP okay. um, with a like almost tackier star feel. Okay. Super, super unique plastic. I really enjoy platinum, but we have them pretty much all the way from Strata to platinum. So you can check them out pretty much wherever you want to buy your discs at if yeah. they hold them. So. Yeah, that is awesome. So yeah, the Takapu, a very cool putter. Now, I didn't get to throw it a ton today. Uh, I will definitely be messing around with it, but like... The average disc golf, like what, not even average disc golf, but when you go and you throw the Takapu, what shots are you throwing with it? 
And why are you throwing those shots? Yeah, I'd say anything that's like 275 and in for me, that I need a straight pushing shot that has reliable finish on the end of its flight is right where the Takapu fits in really well. And so I like to throw it in that platinum plastic, like I mentioned. Um, I think that is a super, super um, underrated mold for slightly finishing shots for your putter. I love that. I love that. That I, you know, I throw my bullet about, you know, the same range that you're throwing, that just straight shot. I threw it today and it was just a, a beautiful shot to throw. But yeah, so the Takapu, guys, is a very cool disc. Uh, I will definitely be messing around with, with the one that you gave me. I'm super excited to throw it and learn and get familiar with it and just, you know, see what it can do. Because I saw you do a lot of cool things today <laughs> with the Takapu. It definitely has some good glide. I'd probably give it a four glide if I'm yeah. being honest. I, I think the zero turn is true. The two speed is accurate. It's not a super fast putter. I do think that maybe it's a one fade. And it also could just be that, you know, you were throwing it really well. So, it, you know, that high spin, high speed, it wasn't fading as much. Uh, but I definitely think, you know, uh, that that one, one to two fade, I think the numbers are pretty accurate yeah. for this. And so that's one of the cool things I like is that players can pick up this disc and actually trust that it's going to fly the way it says. Yeah, most definitely. And the Magma Soft Plastic, personal feel and belief I think, yeah, it takes a, a, just a tick of stability mm -hmm. off of it. flies a little bit more to the neutral side, but right. still reliable fade on it. So. Awesome. Well, guys, that is all that we have for you today. I hope you enjoyed episode 32. Uh, I learned a lot just absorbing so much information and knowledge from you about disc golf. And it was just awesome. I hope you guys enjoyed a lot and learned a lot from Taiyi. If you haven't already, make sure you join my Discord server so that you can interact, get some coaching, get some inspiration, and just great disc golf conversation in the Discord server. If you haven't already done so, go ahead and follow both of us, but especially Taiyi on Instagram. Check out his YouTube channel. We have some videos coming out over the next few days to weeks, depending on our scheduling, that we will be publishing some stuff. So I'm super excited for that. And uh, that is all I have for you today, guys. And, you know, we're going to end this episode like we do every other episode. Make sure you go ahead and teach someone disc golf this week at Teach Play Disc Golf. That is our purpose here. We want to teach people how to play this amazing game that we all love. So whether you are taking someone brand new or just encouraging someone online, make sure you go ahead and give that word of encouragement, give some coaching, give some teaching, send them to this podcast, and then make sure that you yourself get out and go play disc golf this upcoming weekend. I hope it's going to be beautiful weather where you're at and that you can enjoy some of it. And uh, that is all, everybody. Until next time, have a great round. Mm -hmm.